0: Welcome to the Mass Effect Lorecast, the podcast where we explore the vast universe of lore behind the Mass Effect games. We'll talk about all the details you may have missed, ask the hard questions, and more. Specters, welcome back to the Mass Effect Lorecast. This is your host, Tom, or Robots, and I'm here as usual with Sam, or N7, the legend. Welcome back, Sam. How's it going?
1: It's uh, going really well. Uh, I have had a pretty good weekend. I saw a movie I was meaning to watch. I don't know if you've heard of Roadrunner. Uh, wait, 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 biopic wait. Like, about, beep, and, beep,
0: beep, 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 Hong Kong. No, 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 about um,
1: Anthony Bourdain. Oh, no. And I actually not. named so for one of his favorite uh, songs. Cartoon. anyway, beep, beep. Um, if you like documentaries, it's good. Uh, there's some ethical dilemmas with the usage of AI in the movie which is weirdly relevant to Mass Effect Uh, Uh, but yeah I was wanting to watch it for quite some time and it it came to a home premiere on Voodoo so uh, we were like well we don't have to go out and interact with people at the theater why not?
0: Nice I saw a movie as well Um, it was also a classy film called The Suicide Squad Uh, it also dealt with uh, things that had to do with uh, similar themes, like Mass Effect, uh, in that there was a very large thing that could potentially destroy the Earth, and um, I also didn't have to go to a movie theater to see it, and I enjoyed it a lot. Because well, there we go. James Gunn is one hell of a director.
1: Speaking of movies, Mass Effect: Paragon Lost. That's on Hulu. If <gasps> anyone's interested. What? Yep. Yeah, that's on Hulu. I have Hulu. Yeah. yeah it is a mass effect anime movie it's the story about james vega shortly before mass effect three takes place is it good have you seen it it's i think it's pretty incredible
0: is the, um, is the art good is the, like the animation good
1: the art is good and weirdly enough the only people who look uh not good in the art style are the people we're going to be discussing today <laughs> the battle turtles the krogan no! That's right so i love the uh, battle turtles that was that's got to be like the weirdest slash best sequitur we've ever had Yes, Uh, but basically yeah we're talking this week about the hard-headed confrontational race of battle turtles (laughs) who has been Mm -hmm. uh used when needed and discarded when not And of course, you know, that's the Krogan. so and I got to give credit to our our awesome patron Vervada, for introducing me to that term, by the way, battle turtles. That's not something original that I just came up with. I'm not that witty. Uh, So thank you, Vervada, for such an amazing uh, phrase.
0: Yes. And I'm going to use it from forever now. Forever now. They will be my battle battle turtle buddies. BTB. BTB. Battle battle turtle buddies. Battle turtle buddies. Getting my back so <laughs> so uh okay so we've, we've talked about these before but uh at, at good length i mean we've talked about them being effectively neutered more or less and you yes. know the lack of battle turtle buddy babies um but there's more to discuss right
1: That's right. Um, Beyond the amazing alliteration that you just pulled. Beyond the amazing (laughs) alliteration of Battle Turtle
0: babies being
1: neutered. Beyond belief. Beyond, yeah, beyond belligerence. Um, (laughs) So we have discussed the Krogan in a couple of episodes. And that covered the Rachni Wars and the Rebellions and the Genophage, like you just mentioned. Mm -hmm. Um, However, that only makes up a portion of the Krogan's history. And so... The original plan was, you know, as I mentioned last episode. Which, by the way, awesome that you're back. I'm I'm very happy that you're uh, feeling yeah. better and we're able to have the banter now because it was a little bit lonely. The last Battle episode, Turtle Baby but.
0: Banter. <laughs> oh yes, <laughs> but
2: this is what the, this is what our audience has been is missing, missing
0: without me here. So can uh, let me address this really quick, guys. I'm so sorry that I haven't been here. Um, I had kind of a trifecta. Uh, I had the, I had a cold, which. Although the doctor said was not the Rona might have been the Rona Ro- my, my, my Corona. Um, uh, I, I was I was vaccinated, so it may not have been as bad as it, it could have been, but it, I think it probably was uh, then. I was started new meds for my migraines and had a series of, uh, probably five, a five day long migraine, which was awesome. And then, uh, adjusted to the new medication. So it was kind of dizzy and uh, not feeling awesome for uh, a while. So i had like maybe, uh, two weeks of hell, which was great. It was good times. So I'm feeling a lot better now, which is good. Uh, it's good not to feel like death. So that's nice so it's it's nice to be back so um but thanks yeah, for and thanks for man you're back thanks for manning the captain's chair while i was well you did a great job um but yeah, thank you very much it's,
1: it's nice to be back. I learned from the best
0: well hey you're welcome it's nice to be ha- back to talk about my battle turtle buddies so let's uh let's dive into it
1: yeah let's let's dive right into it um so uh oh right like i was gonna say so the original plan was to go straight into the vorcha and the yog after the last patron chat, which by the way was awesome. If you haven't listened to that patron chat, go back and listen to it. You talk about the endings, it's pretty cool. Uh, but anyway, the, that, no, that was the original plan talk about the Vorcha and the Yog right after the uh, patron chat. Right. But then yeah. you and I talked about it, Tom, and we we're like, well, wait a second. The Korians kind of need their own episode because we only discussed them in the you know uh, limits of the geth war and we only discussed the krogan in the limits of the krogan rebellions and the genophage and, and things like that so yeah the lizard warriors need their own episode too
0: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yes so that's where we're at yeah yeah,
1: yeah exactly um so that being said mm-hmm. uh i have a few mottos for the krogan i have more than one uh as as it comes with the krogan they are such a robust race uh i don't want to start another alliteration thing (laughs) that was that was an accident two r sounds um but i have a few quotes some of them haughty some of them uh down to earth and relatable the first one that I would use to describe the Krogan is a quote from Shakespeare's *Anthony and Cleopatra*: "When valor preys on reason, it eats the sword it fights with." Okay, so was also- the haughty one? <laughs> the, the the haughty one uh, was that one, and then there's <laughs> okay. also. There's also the famous excerpt, you know, from Teddy Roosevelt's Man in the Arena speech. That's really lengthy, so I'm not going to recite it on okay. this podcast right now. Uh, but if you're interested about Teddy Roosevelt or you already know what I'm talking about, then you might you might catch the reference, you know, the credit goes to the man in the arena whose face is marred by dust, sweat and blood, that kind of thing. Um, so if not, if you're not familiar, please do look it up because it's a very great speech. Um, there's also the final one which is more of a meme (laughs) and people might be more familiar with this and uh i think it encapsulates the spirit of the krogan perfectly really it's our good friend who we've mentioned on a previous episode of the lorecast danny Devolis, (laughs) also known as danny devito uh Uh he says and it's always sunny in philadelphia so anyway i started blasting <laughs> so, anyway, <laughs> I started blasting. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so I think that that really encapsulates the spirit of the Krogan pretty well um, because they charge into conflicts head first, consequences be damned, right? Uh, so that's kind of their modus operandi. Um, okay. But that being said i think let's let's get into the biology because we got a lot to get through uh this is going to be a very content heavy episode so i hope that whoever really loves the krogan is buckling up because we got a lot to talk about um buckle up for those battle babies buckle up for the battle turtle babies (laughs) they the first things first is there wait, wait is there
0: a word that means turtle that starts with a b turtle synonym Go, keep going bowl Synonyms.
1: bowl lizard bowl lizard uh lizard with a bowl on its back uh no
0: turn <laughs> <no>. mm. <laughs> I'm gonna find. So, I'm gonna find. Something. While, while going. you're looking
1: for that, I'm gonna do my thing. <laughs> yeah, do your thing. You go. <laughs> so, because Tuchanka, the the Krogan homeworld, has so many natural hazards and predators, the Krogan have evolved to be extremely resilient. You know, we'll talk about that a little bit more as we go on. But big surprise, they are bipedal, uh, bipedal battle turtle babies. Mm-hmm. Uh, but their legs are bowed backwards, similar to what you see when you look at a rabbit's leg, you know, it, it's built for springing forward, mm-hmm. which along with the Krogan's wide set eyes are traits of a prey species. So in terms of the major species of the Milky way, having traits that are common to a prey species is pretty unique. Right. Because almost yeah. all the other species have front facing eyes, not wide set eyes, front facing eyes. And they walk, you know, tall on two legs, uh, which is a predator's trait.
0: Right. Right. Yeah, that seems that seems very odd. Uh, it makes you uh, kind of assume that they must be on their in their natural habitat, more of a prey than a predator, even if a, compared to other intelligent species, they seem to be more dominant.
1: Right. Which is so weird, right? Because everyone in the Milky Way looks at the Krogan like they are living tanks. Like they are, you know, capable of massive amounts of destruction per individual.
0: Right. Yeah. But I guess that, I mean, if you take something out of its natural environment where it is the generally the prey, but now it is the predator compared to the other things in a new environment, then it doesn't just evolve quickly to have different traits. Comparatively. Right.
1: It doesn't devolve. Yeah. Um, it doesn't just that's... all of a sudden change immediately. Like, right. The Solarians might refer to them as an invasive species.
0: Sure. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. That makes sense.
1: And where the quarians look somewhat like humans, like, like we discussed last week, the Krogan really don't at all. Um, The Krogan have humps on their backs that store nutrients and fluids, allowing them to go long periods of time with no water uh, or food, which is very similar to a camel. Mm -hmm. Um, Not something that you might uh, not a parallel you might expect with the Krogan being reptilian in nature. But, you know, for example, long periods of time, it, it can be communicated with this analogy, a 55 gallon tank, can sustain a colony of Krogan for more than 10 years. That's, a decade.
0: That's a long trip.
1: That is. That is a, that long, means, that is a you know,
0: long family vacation.
1: What kind of implications does that have for Krogan supply lines, right? You can cut their supply lines and it doesn't matter.
0: Yeah, you are not going to siege the Krogan out of their uh, homes.
1: No, <laughs> that's not going to happen. No, not going to um, happen interestingly the hump thing is also a status symbol so a bigger hump means a better hunter yeah. and a better hunter is more desirable so i guess you could say that size matters right
0: yeah you can judge a krogan by the size of his uh
1: you know what yeah you know what they say big okay. hump big hump big big quad gas yes, tank <laughs> big big yeah Big survival ability. The um, big so,
0: legs to carry the large amount of water. I don't so know.
1: So, Combat Vet Gaming asks in chat, "How do Krogans mate?" Well, when two Krogans really love each other, uh, no, just kidding. They don't feel love. Uh, no, I'm kidding. They, only they feel probably hate. do. That's it. <laughs> they only feel blood rage. <laughs> uh, their skin, the Krogans' skin, and and so much of it is covered in a tough shell their skin is so thick and the shell is so thick that it's basically immune to all scrapes, nicks, cuts, bruises, etc. Everything that might happen to your skin that is, you know, painful. And if, you know, at its worst life threatening, it wouldn't even happen to a Krogan skin. Like you can take a knife to a Krogan skin and it's not going to do anything. It's like trying to cut Kevlar.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's one of the tests they do on uh fortune and fire when they're trying to test the blades for hardness. They bring in a Krogan and they hit it against the Krogan like seven times.
1: And then he's like, okay, that was the highlight of my day.
0: All right. I saw a little bit of, uh, uh, you know, nicks here on the front of the blade, but otherwise it held up. Good job.
1: <laughs> Good job. You're a true warrior. Um, interestingly, the, the shells and plates, like I talked about, uh, they evolve over the lifespan of one individual Krogan. So younger Krogan have looser plates on their head and therefore hmm. there are some soft spots and this is apparent when you when you look at and you when you compare grunt to older krogan like drac uh drac is from andromeda or older krogan like uh rex that's really it's really cool that krogan they actually have very hard spots yeah that's really cool. cool that
0: hard heads they actually designed that in game too and it, it, it's similar to like the development of uh like the human skull
1: yes it makes is sense. um and it's also similar to a number of other animals uh, that we have in our world. So um, it makes sense biologically speaking. And I'm sure some of these writers have, you know, read their fair share of medical and biological, you know, books and, and enough to be skilled in, in this realm of sci-fi. Um, yeah, yeah. But More about the Krogan uh, and their resilience. They have crazy amounts of innate resistance to naturally occurring hazards on Tuchanka, like extreme heat, extreme cold, toxins, and even radiation. And the radiation resistance may actually be why they're still around today, but we will touch on that a little bit later.
0: Mm -hmm. And overall, these guys are are big. Like all the ones we meet, they're all pretty large dudes.
1: Yeah, they're huge. Uh, So on average, more than seven feet tall. Uh, and around 170 to 180 kilograms. And for our American fans that that's roughly about 385 pounds. Okay. So, um,
0: so they evolved as prey species, uh, but they all are big and intimidating. So they make good predators on, at least on any other world that most of these other species come from.
1: Yeah, right. I can I can definitely see that. And that, and then that's actually what happens, you know, later in the series that they make fearsome, um, fearsome competitors for survival. You know, one key indication that we have that the Krogan were kept alive by evolution from predators on their own homeworld is they're having multiple major organ systems. Like so redundancy? for example, like, yeah, redundancy. Yeah. Uh, so they have two hearts and four lungs just in case, <laughs> right,
0: <laughs> you get stabbed through one of them, and it's like it's okay. I have three others. Oh, that sucks. I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> let me let yeah. me just turn that one off. Oh, all right. I'm fine
1: now. Yeah, and when that happens, they they fly into this thing called a blood rage, where they no longer are responsive to pain. It dulls their logic capabilities, similar to adrenaline rushes in human beings. And they're not really thinking rationally anymore, but they're, they're capable of these amazing physical feats. Like they don't even care about pain anymore. They will fight till the absolute like death until they are physically incapable and not just like gasping for breath. It's, it's kind of um, legendary within the mass effect universe. So Mm. you combine all these qualities, the skin, the organs, the sheer size, the blood rage, the and, and you combine them with the naturally very high birth rate. And, well, that's just how dangerous Tuchanka was because these guys aren't the apex predator. That's what it took to survive on Tuchanka. And we're talking way before the nuclear bombs turned Tuchanka into what it is in Mass Effect 1.
0: Okay, so okay, so we, so they okay, so they come from a world that was blown into the stone age, right? We're talking nuclear yeah. bombs here. Um it also sounds like they might have evolved from a, in a in a world where they were like fighting dinosaurs or something. Like that there was
1: you could s- say that.
0: something there that was like apex predator Way bigger and badder than they were, and they didn't have the means to uh, fend them off. Like uh, uh, you've got, like there's, there's got to be something else that was going on, right? Like yeah, like yeah, absolutely, and there is right, yeah, because we we evolved in in a world where by the time humans were walking around on two legs and were we were smart enough to make spears and throwable weapons and outsmart our prey, you know, like team up on them or one of the theories is that we actually outwalked our prey is that we had the endurance because of the way our bodies worked that we can we could jog for long periods of time, especially when we're at, at like our fittest levels that we can just kind of keep jogging for long periods of time. And And that's called pursuit predation right yeah it's something it's something like yeah i think you're right and so for example if we were if we were pursuing uh something that was a very dangerous apex predator like lions (laughs) lions are designed to slink up on their prey and to have these very strong bursts of energy and they will hunt down a gazelle or whatever, and and might do it in, in you know this very intense attack. And gazelles are fast, and they'll they'll link up on it. They'll burst in. They'll get it. They'll pounce on it. They'll take it down. They'll they'll you know take it back to wherever they're eating it. They'll chew it up and they'll eat it, and then they'll slink away. Right now, if they're getting attacked by something and they feel scared because all of a sudden we you know we injure it and it decides okay I'm not, I'm getting out of here. I'm not fighting against you know. 20 humans with spears and these things look scary, it starts to run away. Well, a lion doesn't have the kind of endurance in its design to keep running for 20, 42 hours, right? And so we just keep pursuing it. (laughs) So it goes to hide in some bushes and we ferret it out of the bushes and then it goes to hide and run in some other bushes and we ferret it out of the bushes and then it goes to hide and run in some other bushes and we just keep chasing it and eventually it gets worn out. And then we stick it with sticks until it gets wounded and it can't run anymore and then we kill the lion right
1: sorry this sounds like the same kind of predation that the reapers used against every other race in mass effect
0: yeah and this is this is a theory of how we killed all of these great predators is that they were designed to kill things that couldn't fight back in but we changed we changed the rules of engagement because we outsmarted them and we out endured them. We couldn't take them down in a rush of of ability because we couldn't win that way. Well, that's not how humans fight, especially big animals or big, scary animals. we We outfought them. Um, but it seems like, The Krogan didn't weren't able to take on animals in the same kind of way. They had to fight differently They had to survive things that were bigger and stronger and when the things struck back They had to be they had to endure whatever was able to hit them and they had to be able to hit back harder You know that whatever was going on wasn't like that or they were they didn't have the same kind of mentality to respond in a group coordinated effort kind of way the way humans would have um, so their methods had to have been different, or they were being attacked in ways where they had to have more awareness of their environment in order to survive. There, there must have been something else going on. Um, so, anyway, uh, just just right, some thoughts any on way, that.
1: Anyway, any way that you cut it, it it means that the Krogan were being hunted on their home world.
0: Yes, they were. They were actively being hunted, whereas something like lions weren't actively hunting humans. Something like uh, mammoths weren't actively hunting humans. They knew it was too dangerous. They knew it was too dangerous. Um, Does that make sense?
1: Like, yeah, that makes sense. And so I think it makes perfect sense in the context of the Krogan too. And so I mentioned the nuclear bombs. That's kind of like, you know, uh, a metaphorical nuclear bomb to just drop in a topic anyway. Um, So (laughs) I think that that topic and Kind of taking a step back and, and, and examining why there were nuclear bombs on Tuchanka in the first place and how they went off and who let them off and, and what happened afterward is probably a topic that's best served for after the break.
2: Yeah.
0: All right. Sounds good. Let's move on to the break. We'll be right back.
2: Message coming in. Patching it through. I am sovereign and this station is mine. I like the sound of that. Among them, two former rivals whose blood feud will tear West Virginia apart and their epic struggle for survival. Chad, a vault bro who has a strength of 15, an intelligence of 2, and is a complete wasteland dickhead. Simon, a complicated anti-hero who chooses light and hope but accidentally becomes a cannibal and wakes up naked and afraid with a Scorch Beast Queen after a date goes terribly wrong. What? I mean, it's a wild wasteland, right? This dark humor radio drama will have you driving off the road and crawling out from under the fallout. Two men. One wasteland. And so many. 76 Podcast, rated R. Now streaming on your tape player podcasty thing. Hey,
0: that was a Krogan voice. Welcome to the middle of the show. This is the middlest part of the show where we get to thank our patrons, the the best of all listeners. We love all of our listeners, but we I can't I can't uh I can't lie. We love our patrons the most because you guys help help us out and make sure that we can do the show every week and we especially love the the patrons who get called out every week our tier five and tier six patrons. Uh, this week, our tier five patron is Sovereign again. Sovereign, thank you for supporting our show. We have a total of 35 patrons supporting us. Thank you so much to all of you. We've got a bunch of tier four patrons who will be joining us at the end of the month and a bunch of other patrons who are helping to support the show. Thank you so much, you guys. Um, Sam and I can't tell you how much we appreciate the support. We really, really genuinely do. Thank you for being here um sam anything you want to say to our patrons this week
1: yeah um you know you all have been so incredibly uh kind and generous and supportive to us and even you know when when tom had to take a week off last week and i heard nothing um, but support you know that was my first show that i've ever uh hosted alone and so i didn't know how it was going to go because of technical issues actually the technical issues were pretty uh, uh stress inducing up to the last moment because as i've mentioned before i'm running an os off of the external hard drive on my laptop and so i didn't know if i was actually going to be able to do it but i was able to virtually jury rig my system so that people could watch and chat at the same time the same way that we do this every week uh, live on twitch and so anyway, I just wanted to say to our patrons and the listeners, uh, who I actually had just, uh, met a couple new listeners last week. Uh, thank you for supporting the show. And, and like we've said, yes, of course, the, the donations, uh, help to support the show so that we can keep doing this. However, um, just telling your friends and talking about the show is also incredibly helpful and supportive. And, um, yeah, I just can't like. I, I I get a little, you know, heart warmed every time I see someone on Twitter interact with us or something or join the discord and say, hey, I just started listening to your show and I binged all the episodes this weekend or something like that. Because yeah. it's it's, of course, flattering, but it's also, uh, you know, it, it's just like I love talking about this. And the reason why I started doing this is because uh, I'm a Mass Effect nerd through and through and um i wanted to talk to other mass effect nerds so happy to be here and i'm happy for you all to be here as well
0: yeah well said well said and um also uh, genuinely I-, I love having you guys in chat some of you guys are chiming in as we say this stuff um we've got 22 currently on twitch right now with us thank you for being here i would love for us to hit 30 concurrent viewers that would be amazing i just love all the comments i love the positivity around the show around this community you guys are awesome i love you being here with us i love the conversations although i don't always chime in i read through almost everything that gets shared on the discord so thank you for being there as well and the reviews that get shared we got a new one that came in this one is from king oblivion in the united states who wrote this is my favorite podcast on the citadel five stars i love i love when everyone uses that as a title um King Oblivion wrote just recently found this podcast and I've been binging it ever since. Absolutely love Mass Effect and this podcast has really opened my eyes to the universe of lore, to the games and books. It's the best. So thank you King Oblivion. That's awesome. Um you don't need to be listening to this on Apple Podcasts. You just need an Apple account. So you can go to the Apple website. You can even just search Mass Effect Lorecast Apple and go to the Apple website sign up if you don't have an apple account and just drop in a rating and review that helps a lot there are still a lot of people who listen on apple podcasts and a lot of people who use that as a way to check out what shows are available because it shows up well in search so that can be a a way that you can help out the show without even spending any money but like n7 legend said even just telling your friends is a huge thing and even even if you can't do that just showing up and being here live with us. We just, we just love the, love the company. We love the positivity and the energy in the community. And we love just being able to share that with you guys. So um, thank you for joining us and let's move on with the rest of the show.
2: Spit it out. Or are you trying to build suspense? You're so dense, sir. Obviously I do not know as much about human relationships as I thought.
0: We have a mysterious donator who is running a competition on the Robots Radio Discord? Just search it, Robots Radio Discord, it'll come right up for a Mass Effect limerick. If you don't know what a limerick is, you can find examples of this online. It's basically a, a quick little five line poem, and just come up with a really quick little Mass Effect limerick. Stick it in the uh, poem section of the Discord. If you don't see it when you log into the Discord, make sure that you are. In you go into the and this is this sounds complex, but it's really not that hard because when you join the discord it, There's a little note that pops up that says go into the I'm looking it up right now the uh, Discord rules and roles section and you will see a bunch of little posts that say react with an emote for the shows that you enjoy or uh, what content and channels are you interested in seeing? You'll see posts for all this stuff. So that way you can tag all the different shows that you like or all the different things you're interested in. And what that does is it opens up extra channels for all the stuff that you like because there's a bunch of channels in our Discord and you don't see the things you're not interested in. Well, the poem channel is part of the personal sharing stuff. And it's like two little hands that look like this, like you're sharing something, right? So go down to that little section, make sure you choose, like go go look for like Mass Effect, because that's one of the ones. So if you if we tag something for Mass Effect, Lorecast, it'll ping you. So you'll know. Oh, you got tagged. So go down to personal sharing, click that, click a little emoji, and then you'll see a whole little section of like personal sharing stuff, which includes poems. And then you can go in there, you can post your little your little poem. And in two weeks, our mysterious benefactor will choose their favorite limerick. And what that means is that you will get to join us on the patron episode at the end of the month without having to pay anything. You get to be a free guest. So go and check I that think out. The
1: topic of that episode has yet to be decided.
0: So you could even help decide it. And the, the, so this will get decided on the 22nd, which means it'll be uh, a week before the episode gets recorded. So you'll get to chime in and tell us what you think. Um, so go check that out. If you want to know more about this, then it's in the announcements channel. So just join the discord, ask some questions. If you don't know, people are there. I might be around. Lots of people can chime in and tell you what's going on. So easy peasy. It sounds complex. Just say, hey, what, what can I do to win the Mass Effect thing? We'll, we'll help you out. No problem. So there you go. That's what's going on. Good luck to everybody. All right. So we have a uh, another planet. I forgot to do this in the middle of the show. We've got another planet to share. That
1: is quite all right um so i actually uh forgot to send you a screenshot of the planet (laughs) this time so this is just going to be an audio thing i don't know if you want to find it on the wiki while i'm reading it but uh it's not important because it's basically just a colored orb uh visually speaking (laughs) so um here's uh like i like i mentioned before you know we're replacing this show your shepherd at least temporarily with interesting lore bits from the side planet cards and so here's the planet named real uh, i'm going to read from the description of the planet it says it's a planet only a Vorcha could love real is notable for its near-miss climate punishing heat and a thin toxic methane ethane atmosphere its surface is dotted with krogan and Vorcha habitats eking out a meager living off the planet's tin and copper deposits and killing anyone who cuts into their profits travel advisory Krogan can survive in the heat with the use of a breathing mask. All other species require Enviro suits to avoid heat exhaustion and burns. Liquid water can be found in large lakes on the surface. This can be used for thermoregulation, but it is not potable without processing. So uh, like I said about the Krogan's natural resistance to toxins, extreme heat, and being able to go long periods of time without water. Of course, this planet would suit them, but no one else. So I wanted to throw this planet in there uh, for this episode to really drill the point home about just how resilient the Krogan are. Makes sense. All right.
0: So I couldn't I couldn't find I actually searched planet real mass effect, but it did not come up. So even Google doesn't know that this planet exists. Um, (laughs) So, okay, so we were talking about nuclear bombs.
1: (laughs) Yes. So we discussed nuclear bombs before the break. And so, believe it or not, the Krogan homeworld wasn't always a uh, wasteland. Long before the Krogan ever met the council, they had their industrial revolution. And according to the Codex, not much is known of their ancient past because of a self imposed nuclear apocalypse that destroyed many archives. But some ruins have revealed that the ancient Krogan uh, were particularly skilled civil engineers. And for those who don't know, civil engineers are the people who make aqueducts, roads, bridges, buildings, canals, pipelines, you name it. They designed the architecture that allows cities to exist. And so the Krogan even designed architecture that could diffuse vibrations from their vehicles traveling on the surface. That's a really specific modification, right, to mm-hmm. architecture. Mm-hmm. So that ba- that 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 like makes me think why. Right. Well, they were probably concerned about bothering Tuchanka's apex predator, like you had mentioned. Tuchanka had an apex predator that was probably hunting the uh, the Krogan, if not in ancient times, or if not in modern times, in ancient times at least, and that is calros the mother of all Thresher Maws. Mass Effect 1 players might think that Thresher Maws sounds familiar. That's because on some of the Uncharted worlds that you visit, there's a giant worm thing with razor-like teeth that tries to attack you and it shoots venom at you. That's a Thresher Maw. And so (laughs) you can think about how massive that thing is. Um, Now think about how massive the mother of all Thresher Maws must be. And it comes from Tuchanka
0: uh-huh uh-huh what was that movie with the with the worms underground That
1: well there was that scene in star, wars, uh, scene in star where,
0: wars and then um they were in uh dune but what was the movie with like it was in the in the west there's a whole he, i think d Coates just mentioned it in chat tremors tremors, Is that what talking about? tremors. Yes. so wait 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 so they live on the tremors world where they Jove live on tremors world they live they okay this makes a lot more sense. Now. And
1: this is a really obscure reference too, but this is kind of just my headcanon. This is how I imagine the uh Krogan homeworld. If anyone gets this reference, like ten bucks to you, because I don't think more more than like 10 people have seen this this movie. But they live on the planet that Feast must have taken part of or taken taken uh you know place in. Feast uh, Feast, Feast, yes. It's a uh it's one of those horror movies that's so bad that it's so funny.
0: Okay. I don't think I've seen, I don't think I've, I know this movie. i um, definitely going to have to check that out.
1: Uh, but basically that's where the Krogan evolves.
0: Right. Okay. So they, okay. So there, we know that they were using their technology. They were advanced enough to use the technology to help them overcome some of this stuff to survive things like disease, food sorted shortages, uh, predators including these underground predators which explains why they evolved in a way that made them look like prey because they constantly had to be avoiding something that they couldn't see that was underground right. and hunting them so that and in okay so we've got like eyes that are looking out sideways they've got feet that can bound In order to get out of the way we've got bodies that are hardened in order to keep themselves you know from taking damage from whatever in the environment might be hurting them that makes a lot of sense right
1: yeah yeah it does um and these the technology helped them overcome all of those things you know all of the things that killed them it wasn't perfect maybe but it helped them overcome some of those things but not war and war was one of the lead causes of death <laughs> right. for the Krogan. Um, from a sociological point of view, one of the problems that resulted in the wars that happened after their industrial revolution, even with the tech, you know, the technological advances was their insanely high birth rate. Again, we come back to the birth rate, right? Well, mm-hmm. One female could produce 1000 fertilized eggs per year. That's a lot of babies. That's a lot of battle turtle babies. Think about the sheer amount of people. Well, Krogan that had to die in order to offset that. Right. Because typically nature doesn't give beings very high birth rates unless it's necessary to sustain uh, population yeah, growth. Homeostasis. that is also sustainable for the planet. Right. Homeostasis. Right. Right. So like exactly. the,
0: the the assumption is that the like if if they are at homeostasis with their environments, then they are at balance with their environment. So the same rate of death will match the same rate of birth and survival. So if <laughs> if if there are, let's say, a th- let's just make easy numbers. If there are a thousand living Krogan and of that thousand living Krogan, a hundred of them die every year then there will be, of the all of them that are born, a hundred of them will survive, right? And if every female, if so, let's say 500 females, give birth to a thousand fertilized eggs, let's just do the quick math on that, that would be a thousand times 500, right? 500,000. 500,000. Quick maths. Right, only
1: 100 of those would have survived. what percentage is that the attrition is insane it's truly insane right that is a
0: that's like 0.001 percent or something like the 0.005 percent it's it's a very 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 small percentage of survival
1: yeah. Crystal King brings up a great lore bit here in chat that I always was a big fan of. And the number one cause of death before firearms uh, was death by predator. And huh. then when firearms were invented for the Krogan, the number one cause of death became death by gunshot. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> so you think St. Louis is bad. <laughs> Go visit Tuchanka, right? I can I can say that by the wah, way after wah, having lived wah. near uh, near St Louis um there we go there we go gonna get a lot of angry Missourians and uh, Missourians Missourians in our inbox gonna leave us some bad reviews how oh, dare the, you
0: okay they're not actually gonna send themselves into our inbox
1: <laughs> they might I don't know it they're, is illegal it is to send yourself through the mail
0: by the way don't do that.
1: It is the show me state, but please don't show us. Don't show
0: us Um, yourself through the mail. It's illegal.
1: (laughs) So as is typical with sci-fi series and booming industrial age species, which we just spoke about with the drill and the Hanar, they start to run out of resources. It's almost like we're living that now, but (laughs) I'm not going to get into that. If you thought humanity was selfish though, and confrontational then you should think again unsurprisingly krogan psychology also evolved from the brutality of tuchaka's environment right and along with it uh and 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 it along with you know millennia of struggle produced a culture of selfish and strength worship that's something that i like to call Mm. because the krogan are obsessed with strength it's like benito mussolini's Italy on crack Uh, it's insane (laughs) and think of them as the ultimate social Darwinists with no pissing contest too petty (laughs) (laughs) okay and by that I mean that everything seems to be a battle for dominance everything within clans within families even among the best of friends argument for who's on top is number one priority you know, quote unquote, quote unquote, we're doing this hell or high water. And if you can't keep up, then you deserve to be left behind and die. So, social Darwinists is what I think of. But instead of the classic social Darwinist, as you might think about it, we're talking about instead of that, we're talking about instead of waiting for evolution to just rid the world of the quote unquote weak, the Krogan were not afraid to hasten the process. Mm. Okay. You combine that with the territorial psychology. uh, You combine the territorial psychology rather with a land shortage and a budding nuclear age. And what you get is a very predictable situation, global nuclear winter. And so that happens 4,000 years before the start of Mass Effect 1 and Krogan society, Architecture, culture, art, poetry, all of these things that were revealed in some of the recent uh, archaeological digs of Krogan sites, everything about Krogan society, you name it, obliterated. The whole species is reduced to a world of warring clans. 2,000 years later. So they spend 2,000 years in nuclear winter apocalypse world. Mm -hmm. 2,000 years Mm -hmm. pass. And then the Solarians first encounter them and then they uplift them, which we already did an episode on, and I'm not going to get too right. deep on. Right, right. Go back and listen to those. <laughs> yes. Now would be a great time to go listen to those.
0: Pause <laughs> <Awesome> the <laughs> um, podcast. And, go back and listen.
1: Come back. And, you know, so there's nuclear radiation everywhere. Uh, Nuclear winter, no foods growing which you know works out for them right because they have these humps on their backs and they can survive long periods of time with no food. And it also works for them because thank the goddess for their natural resistance to radiation because if it wasn't for that, they probably would not have survived the 2000 year apocalypse.
0: yeah. Yeah, they were they genetically predisposed to make it to live in this hell for a very long period of time. Right. They were written that way.
1: Um, (laughs) by the way, Krogan don't generally believe in gods or gods. I said, thank the goddess just a second ago, but they don't generally believe in gods or gods or god or gods. So they practice basic ceremonial burial rites for the dead, which is a hallmark of sentient species, by the way. Um but they only do it to remind themselves of the inevitability of death. So for those of you who are really big history buffs that might, you know, spawn to mind some thoughts of Marcus Aurelius for the rest of us, it's kind of the embodiment of the phrase from the dust we were made and to it, we shall return. That's kind of the only spiritual motto they have. Okay. Yeah. Generally there's a, there's
0: almost always a veneration of life and death as a cycle and as a like a respect for for the uh for those who passed on and for your elders as kind of a baseline spirituality in most cultures even if there isn't like a greater religious context right
1: and they didn't even revere it so to speak Mm -hmm. it was just like a reminder like a stoic you know classic stoicism right Mm -hmm. uh death is inevitable it happens um just keep that in mind. <laughs> like, yeah, like, like, that's pretty much it. Just keep that in mind. <laughs> that nothing matters, you know, but, but that's the thing. It doesn't really descend into nihilism that much. But anyway, yeah, like I said, their nations descend into clans. But what about before then? And this is where I ran into a brick wall when I was researching for this episode. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was looking at the codex entries, of course, in the game. And I was trying to parse my knowledge of the novels that I've read, although I will be honest, I haven't read the Mass Effect Andromeda Annihilation novel yet. But this is, you know, like I said, where I ran into a brick wall. I wanted yeah. to know what the Krogan government structure was like before their entire civilization on Tuchanka was destroyed. However, I just couldn't find anything. I couldn't find anything more than speculation and how their government now, now being meaning in mass effect Mm one is so fractured and polarized that politics really can't even exist for a long period of time in Krogan society. This is not surprising given what the genophage did to the collective mindset of the Krogan to paraphrase what Rex tells us in Mass Effect One, if your entire people, if you're, if all of humanity was dying, and only one in one thousand would make it, you know, uh, one in one thousand would be born, would you bother with trying to build a future? And I'm so glad, Tom, that you brought up the, you know, the, the mathematics of, well, you have to factor in, you know, how many females are born as well, because remember, it's not really just one in a thousand because the Krogan need a male and a female to reproduce. Mm -hmm. So chances of a female specifically being born are half that. So now you think, okay, even if they are like dedicated to proliferating, Mm -hmm. It's going to be an uphill battle to, to maintain population growth even with them laying you know clutches of a thousand eggs a year that's still a dedicated effort that you got to do because it's not like each occurrence it's not like each time a krogan tries to have her eggs fertilized it's not like each time is built upon the last time oh well the last time didn't work so now this time it's more likely to work that's not that's, how not how, that's not how statistics probability works. works. Yeah, that's not how
0: probability right. works. Right, right, right. Yeah.
1: It's one in a thousand every time. Um, right. So, and and then it's you know one in what two thousand that a female might be born, mm-hmm. and um, naturally this creates a, d- a dynamic where females are highly sought after, which only serves to further destabilize the Krogan regions. Now, and when I say now, again, Mass Effect One uh, timeline. And after that warlords really only tend to command thousands of warriors, whereas before they might be able to unite entire solar systems. Mm -hmm. Um, And when I say before, I mean, before the genophage, because as other races have stated, looking from the outside in, and this point is really, uh, really important. This is what other races have stated. The codex is written by humanity. It's written by another race. The Krogan's, quote unquote, natural aggression and territorial nature keeps them from forming any kind of parliament or any kind of centralized power. So this is partly why in Mass Effect 2 and Mass Effect 3, Rex, if you had him survive that encounter on, on Vermeer, Rex's unification of Tuchanka under one banner is so impressive. Because they have all of these things going, you know, against them, right? Yeah. Right. On on Tuchanka. There's no hope. Everyone that does have any shred of hope leaves to become a mercenary elsewhere, or you know, uh uh hired as private security somewhere. And those who stay basically stay because they have to, or they or or yeah, they just have to. So this is why Rex's unification is so impressive. And I, I didn't think that uh the writing was too on the nose about that Mm
0: -hmm. that makes sense um okay so we see how the nuclear winner and the genophage are likely reasons for how the krogan act like they do now but um we also we also see how they weren't always like this because they had a, a very different culture in the past how did these two things change their military
1: well that's that's a huge question um that can be summed up with two words Doctrine and demilitarization doctrine traditional Krogan military doctrine equipped or Kro- er, uh, you know, through waves of cheaply equipped Krogan at the enemy, it was horde combat. Mm-hmm. It was also highly centralized. So orders came from the top down, like, like way up top all the way down. So one Krogan commander's decision could mean entire battalions are now rushing an enemy history buffs again think right. ussr and world war ii stalingrad style combat right all millions
0: of people millions of people here's the basic rifles here's some boots charge
1: <laughs> if that you go. know sometimes yeah. the soldiers in yeah. stalingrad were fighting with sticks and stones right
0: right pick up the pick up the rifle from the dead person in front of you go yeah
1: yeah yep and so that was traditionally krogan military doctrine before the, before the genophage, before the rebellions. Right. And then since the genophage factions cannot really afford the severe population loss that comes from that, they yeah. can't really afford cannon fodder combat anymore. Right, that makes sense. So accordingly, they've become more efficient. They've become more specialized and they've become more skilled in combat. This isn't canon, but it's my opinion that this is why in terms of modern Krogan military, You see the promotion of Krogan with biotics to officer level very fast. It's not just a psychological thing that most Krogan don't have biotics, but it's also a this person is rare. Most Krogan don't have biotics. This is highly skilled in combat. This person needs to be promoted so that they can command other Krogan or other forces at all. And this has helped Krogan economically as employment in the private sector, like I noted, being bouncers, um, being private security, being mercenaries. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it has helped them economically. But in terms of economics, we aren't really going to go over that because there isn't an economy to speak of on Tuchanka. It's very similar to fallout. You know, (laughs) what's the economy of the capital wasteland? Yeah. Uh,
0: Yeah. Like 10,000 caps. That's it. (laughs)
1: right what's the gdp there you know um so it's 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 survival is what it is um they don't have exports (laughs) um and if they did it would probably be weapons
0: yeah yeah handmade some pipe rifles and a uh machete here you go that's it
1: yeah, yeah, exactly. They actually have a weapon that they created that was meant to battle Thresher Maws. And so when used against the other, you know, sentient races of the Milky Way is particularly grisly. Oh, if geez. I remember right, it throws like like giant ninja stars, basically like bladed <laughs> uh, frisbees at people and it just eviscerates them. Um, that's pretty Krogan in style. Sweet. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so the other word uh, that can be summed up uh, by talking about how mi- how their military changed post genophage post rebellions is after the rebellions were ended in devastating fashion by the Turians choosing to release the genophage. By the way, you know, this is important too. Solarians can't be blamed entirely because they designed it, but they actually if I remember correctly, they did not recommend releasing it. At the moment that the Turians chose to. Mm -hmm. But like we discussed during the Turian episode, it is the Turian military doctrine that once someone becomes a threat, make sure they will never become a threat again. Right, right. So if that's their MO, they accomplished that. I guess you could say the Krogan ultimately were forced to accept the council's terms. And one of those terms is a blanket ban on constructing any warships. This sounds really 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 similar to uh our own history on earth doesn't it yeah yeah this
0: is a um that's like a with the
1: japanese right with the japanese and also with the germans um mm-hmm. and the treaty of versailles to limit the size of military buildups yep. does that work that's debatable <laughs> but yeah this blanket ban on constructing warships is enforced by something called the CDEM, the Council uh, Demilitarization Enforcement. Uh, I forget what the M stands for, but basically, it's a branch of the council specifically designed to enforce the demilitarization of Krogan uh, space. And they are highly effective at it. Every now and then a warlord gets, you know, steps out of line, but they quash him with the help from his rivals. So they're using the other Krogan factions against them. And this serves as another hindrance to any one faction in Krogan space, gaining too much political power. And if they did gain too much political power, and if the Krogans did unite under one banner, then that might actually help the Krogan forward in terms of, you know, uh, technological progress, just centralization for them would help progress social policies as well as, you know, technological advances, tenfold um, if they could, but everything is slanted against them. It looks like right now in order to destabilize their space.
0: Gotcha. Oh, man. So it, this is like a, it's like a tied up knot,
1: you know, it's not easy to it is. untangle. It is. Um, and so, you know, that's, that's the Krogan. And before we go, I, I want to take a step back and I want to step on a soapbox to a drift, or a, I'm sorry, address a rift in the mass effect community when it comes to the genophage and the Krogan's current state in the galaxy. And I've seen discussions about it in the discord. I've seen discussions about it on Twitter. I've seen discussions about it other places. Um, And there seems to be two groups of people. One who believe the Krogan have been made victims of the council's racist tendencies and that they are more or less innocent to their current circumstance because of how they've been used and discarded. The other group, I think believes that the krogan are merely reaping what they sowed quote you know they're inherently violent and they breed way too fast what were the other races supposed to do the krogan refused to negotiate in the rebellions i hear you both and like it or not both of you have picked up very valid points from the lore I, both of you have, you know, both of these groups have clearly played the games before and very clearly understand different parts of the story was Krogan leadership belligerent at times, you know, preceding the rebellions. Yes. Did their leadership's behavior facilitate diplomacy and peaceful solutions? No. Does that excuse nearly sterilizing an entire race? to the point where most of them experience hallmark signs of clinical depression. Absolutely fucking not. (laughs) Should the Salarians have uplifted them in the first place? Yes. No. My response to that is, does the answer even matter? Because regardless of what should have happened, they did intervene. The Salarians did intervene. They uplifted them. They uplifted them for, you know, to use them as a weapon, but the purpose doesn't matter because the point is they uplifted them. And so as Morden would put it, those are now the parameters of the mission that everyone must work in. In other words, bitching about what should have happened isn't going to help anyone progress forward. It's not productive. You have to acknowledge the way things are the good, the bad and the terrible. And you got to look the ugly truths in the eye and and from there and only from there, can you make them better together? And that goes for life outside video games too. So I did want to just, you know, address that because it is relevant in our own world, but it's specifically relevant to the uh, inter-race politics that happens with the Krogan. Um, and it's, it's so forth wall breaking because the inter-race <laughs> ha- politics that happens with the Krogan, also happens within different fandoms within the mass effect community so i did want to address that before we wrapped up this episode because i felt like to to not do that would be doing a disservice
0: right right No, i agree uh, just because something should or shouldn't have happened just because something in the past was a good thing or a bad thing shouldn't change what a future decision should be and if it's good or bad does that make sense? Mm, yeah, it does. Like the how we got here shouldn't change the what we should do next necessarily. A good decision right. is still a good decision.
1: If Re- we're constantly regardless. focusing on how we got here, we're right. never going to look forward. Right. And yeah. why don't we put out the fire first, right. Right? right? Why don't we put out the fire and then we can uh, investigate the cause of arson?
0: Right, right. Yeah, exactly. Now, that doesn't also mean that we shouldn't make reparations for problems that happened in the past you know we shouldn't also exactly look back and say i'm sorry that things happened in the past this way let's also make up for that right that's also a good that's, decision that's, making yes. for, going forward yeah. you know like we can still make good decisions going forward and then also say and let's make up for the bad things healing for the
1: Krogan (laughs) healing for any group that has been marginalized cannot happen until there's truthful discussion about accountability. Um, And so, and and to translate that into, you know, even more layman's terms, you know, both sides in any conflict inevitably have fucked up in some way. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) No one's
0: perfect. Absolutely. And both
1: sides need to understand and accept and admit and, and be, you know, adults about right. how they've fucked up right. and come forward humbly and honestly with a heart you know in terms of wanting to repair things and say okay look uh, our group messed up in this way yeah and then you know ideally the other group says our group messed up in this way yeah where do we go from here
0: right right yeah so yeah this stuff is never easy it's never easy and sometimes some people will never see their own their own things as being the wrong decision, they'll never be able no. to see somebody else's side as being they'll never be able to empathize with somebody else's perspective. they'll never be able to see their you know uh, uh, there will be people who will always say, well the gen- genophase was always the right decision because your species is always was always an invasive species there's no there's no version of this in which your species was ever not dangerous to the rest of the universe. and so something had to be done. Like, like some people will always hold that as being this was always a good decision and should have always been done. It doesn't matter how you feel about it.
1: And this is the spirit you know? of Shepard's point that he makes to the Dalatras in the in Mass Effect 3 when he holds the summit. And very famously uh, for Mass Effect 3 fans, Shepard says, you know, it doesn't matter who you know like because basically the dalatras says well we should have never uplifted the croak and and Shepard goes it doesn't matter we're doing this you know one way or another with or without you we are going to try to form a coalition to fight the reapers and if you want to be petty and stuck in the past you're going to be alone
0: right right yeah either it doesn't matter what happened with if they were uplifted or if they weren't or if it shouldn't happen or shouldn't happen we have to fight the reapers now and this right. is what has to happen in order for all of us to survive. <laughs> like, right? <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Anyway, well, we can continue conversations about this on the Discord and and in future episodes yeah. and, uh, and all of that stuff.
1: Um, and, real quick, before we go, um, D Coates makes an excellent point here in chat. Uh, D-, D Coates says Krogan culture is not equal to their race. So they could and do start to change their culture. Uh, So yeah, that's, that's a great point. And it's exactly why I pinned the blame for the rebellions on Krogan leadership and not their entire race. Right. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. We need to make the distinction between leadership and race because I really hope Udina does not represent, (laughs) you know, I hope uh, the rest of the aliens do not think that all humans are like Udina uh, because that would be awful.
0: Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. There's a difference between the decisions people or any any specific group makes, and the things that you are inherently due to your genetics; those are two very different things, right? And you can't, yeah, you, yeah, you can't hold somebody accountable for something that they did not choose on their own. Um. All right. Well, cool. Good conversations. This has been fun. Uh, anything you want to share before we head out?
1: Well, next week we got another dual race episode coming up. And we're talking about two species who don't receive a ton of the spotlight in Mass Effect, and that is the Vorcha and the Yogg. So that will wrap it up for the major races of sentient aliens in the Milky Way. Uh, But after that, we'll have a few races from Andromeda to talk about. So, Well, uh, I will be streaming some Game Pass games tomorrow, shortly before our game pass show episode tomorrow, which is our 10th episode of the show. Yeah. And then later in the week, probably Wednesday, I'm going to be streaming some more mass effect three. So if anyone would like to, uh, come by and chat on my mass effect three playthrough, I'd be happy to chat with you, uh, answer any questions you have about the lore, assuming that I know them. Uh, and if I don't, I can always (laughs) become more educated myself. Um, and of course you can find me on Twitch at N7thelegend, and you can find me on Twitter at N7thelegend as well. And on Xbox, it is the same name, N7thelegend.
0: There you go. Yeah, I've been playing, uh, I started playing last night Starmancer on Xbox Game Pass. You like space stuff. You like, uh, how's this sound? You like managing a colony ship in space. With a bunch of little AI people with different personalities that manage an AI ship, and you build little things, and you have like a little little spaceship on there that goes off and mines things and brings it back to the ship, and you upgrade your ship, and your little your, your little people have different personalities, and like one, your, let's say one of your little people is disgusting, is one of his personality quirks. And so he takes a poo on the floor and then somebody else gets mad at him for taking the poo on the floor and then they are in a bad mood. And so they decide they don't want to go to work that day. And then the, then you get uh, a little alien dude that shows up a little alien blob that shows up and starts sucking on your energy um, lines on your ship. And then you uh, had to, you ran out of money. So you had to sell your weapons. And so you have to punch the alien blob dude in order to kill him. It's like, it's more like rim world. If you played RimWorld, it's not Sims so much as it's like RimWorld, but it's kind of- I was thinking Sims. It's kind of Sims. It's less, it's less like Sims. It's not like Sims in that, like, they have, mm, it's not like Sims in that, like, they get married and have kids and there's like, they take care of their, well, they do have basic needs, but it's not- Sims is a little bit more nitpicky. This is more of- uh, I don't if you've played Rimworld, you know it's like that. It's like RimWorld. It's a little bit more like like settlement management with people with individual personalities. If that makes sense. But it's fun. Yeah, that makes sense. It's cool. It's like an early release, so it doesn't have everything in it yet. But uh, it's cool. It's got this cool little vibe. You got little people and stuff. It's it's a lot of fun. I've been playing that. I've tried some other things. So I'll be talking about that tomorrow on the show. So come back tomorrow night. We'll be talking about some fun games and stuff. And we'll see you then. So thanks for for joining us again, everybody. This has been fun. We've had a whole bunch of you guys in the live stream. And I'm sure a a lot of you guys will be listening at work or on your commute. Uh, when this goes live and we look forward to talking with you guys again next week. So thanks for being here until next week. Have a good time. We'll see you guys later. Stay safe. Bye everybody.
2: That's the wrong button. Do you like adventure? Yeah. Do you like laughing? Uh, yeah. Would you like to listen to a group of people you don't know, play D&D, and reference retro pop culture you vaguely remember? Um... Excellent. You're going to love Committee Quest. We play D&D in the world of Amaran. We use adventure modules and supplements made by people in the community. We also have a sweet synthwave backing track. Come and join us on our adventure. Volume 1 has been completed. Volume 2, coming the end of January. You can find us on iTunes, Podbean, or wherever you get your podcasts from.
0: Are you into the cyberpunk tabletop games or excited for Cyberpunk 2077? Are you looking to brush up on the lore, stay up on all the latest news, and talk about the game when it comes out? Check out the Cyberpunk Lorecast, a show from Robots Radio with me, your host, Robots. We'll go over all the details you need to know about the world characters, and story of cyberpunk. Available on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, and anywhere else you get your podcasts.